Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Ciao, this is my signature. Na pizza calabrese, it's tasty. Ciao, this is my signature. Na pizza calabrese, I'm tasty. Na 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 na. Salami lami makes I think of salsa music. Salami lami makes I think how I got bashed at school. Salami lami, I got bashed because I ate salami. Salami lami, I learned to speak English better than all of them. So there, na 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 na. Ciao. Comparing Melbourne to Bologna. And contemplating where to fit in, over there we find English is right in, whereas here Italiano is quite fun. In Melbourne, le quattro stagioni is a pizza, or the weather you get in a day. A Bologna, the Four Seasons, è un concerto scritto dal prete Rosso Vivaldi. Salami lami, this is the voice of Santo Cazzati. Salami lami, you are listening to Santo Cazzati. Salami lami, state ascoltando Santo Cazzati. Salami lami, I learned to speak English better than all of them. Capisci? Na 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 na, pizza calabrese, what's cooking, boss? Na 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 na. Pizza Calabrese, would you like to meet up? Na 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 na, Pizza Calabrese, you consider this a date? On the line, the sull'internet, maybe that's the way. Typing amore, hoping stupore, it's all happening. Prendiamo un cappuccino. And now this is the bit with the smouldering Latin jazz piano solo. There's also a trumpet agonizing high. I guess this is a salsa song. Bet you didn't know that. Rice with salsa, che combinazione? Riso con salsa, globalization. Rice with salsa, dore mi fa sol. Riso con salsa, call it and respond. Rice with salsa, muy sabroso. Riso con salsa, is it heard or is it eaten? Rice with salsa, muito obrigado. In and out, back and forth, out of breath, got control. So let's stretch this out to the other side of the globe, huh? Yum cha cha with salsa dating, disco date gelato, teriyaki dadrud, veggie pasta, Yarra River, garu garu fettuccine ragu bolo. OMG, in uppercase, what does all this mean? This is the voice of Santo Cazzati. Salami, you are listening to Santo Cazzati. Arrivederci. Ascoltate Santo Cazzati. Fare thee well. Cazzati, learn to speak English. Tsaitian sayonara. And so to wrap up, what exactly have we learned from all this gobbledygook? That poetry and food, global languages and sex, self-referential indulgence can all make art, is all a unity. At the end of these three minutes, you are a different person for certain. Ciao.
You're on Community Radio 3CR. This is the Spoken Word Program, and I am Santo Katsati. And to open our program today, we heard my signature, that is to say, the signature poem of Santo Katsati. A lot of performance poets have a signature poem, one which they perform often, which readily identifies them. But, enough of me, uh, I would now like to introduce our guest on the program today, JJ Larkin. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to Spoken Word. Thank you. Thanks um, for having me. Well, I met you somewhat accidentally, just yeah. uh, a few metres from where we are now sitting here in the studios of 3CR. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually met you out in the alleyway <laughs> when uh, you were with a bunch of other poets, including longtime 3CR stalwart Sister Zyzander. Mm-hmm. And I had actually heard of you because I saw on Facebook that you ran a gig called Ms Millie's. So I thought I'd go along to that gig at Afro Hub in North Carlton. It's really fantastic, and we will talk about that gig later in the program. But uh, I'd like to start with what perhaps is uh, strikes me anyway as something of a signature poem for you called Growing Pains. I never got a note in class from Muhammad, who I had the biggest crush on throughout primary school. The note that we all wanted, that confirmation that we were pretty. The note that said, will you be my girlfriend? Yes, no, or maybe we all wanted it. Even though we didn't know why we wanted to date at the age of eight, it was just a stage, I guess. We just knew that you held their hands and at some point you had to dramatically break up making a scene like the scene from the movies because of something silly like they walked in class with Sarah or Kate relationship norms in second grade. This taught me how to be a counsellor. People used to bully me. They said my scarf was ugly. My eyebrows were in the likeness of a bridge. Because they were so thick and unforgivably unified, I was chubby, so they called me fatty. I was mixed, so they called me names like Whoopi Goldberg and Kathy Freeman and Scary Spice, even though they looked nothing like me. But I took those comparisons because I was it was more likely that than the Sporty Spice character that I wasn't allowed to play, even though I was hella good at sport. This taught me how to have a thick skin. I was good at sport, so I played soccer freely until I hit puberty. Junior used to call me Mama Jugs. He was 12 and my itty-bitty budding tears became the centre of his world and every single soccer game I took part in, this taught me how to stand up for myself. My first kiss was at 16. This taught me I wasn't ready for my first kiss. When I was 16, I was more afraid of catching transport and walking home alone than I was of flights, spiders and heights. In our youth, we grew too familiar with predators, sitting next to us on buses in our school uniform, sliding up too close or bristling their hands against the bottoms of our hems or the tops of our dresses. This taught me how to be on guard, always. My mother told me to hold my keys between my knuckles and to kick them hard in their privacy in case they try to access mine. Things that shouldn't exist in a 16-year-old mind. I flipped the switch at 17 and finally puberty had mercy on me and I came to slay. All the sports paid off and my cheekbones were on fleek. The boys fell at my feet. I was the time of high-waisted everything. I had my Rihanna cut and I felt like I could do anything. Anything but what they wanted me to do. My second boyfriend wanted to touch every part of me. I wasn't ready so we broke up. I was so confused because I thought we were in love, but I learned that some boys equate beauty with sexuality. I wasn't ready. So I grew a smart mouth to match the brains in my head. This taught me how to say no. When I was 18-year-old, a boy slapped me hard on my ass and proceeded to squeeze it. I slapped him upside his head. We both got detention. 
The same boy did the same thing to a girl in my class. Later that day, they had sex behind the sheds, and he told his friends. Two more of them did the same thing in the same place on the same day. You're a good girl, my guy friends would say, and I liked it. No, I loved it. I felt proud. I should have said something. Instead, I was just proud. I didn't know then what I know now. When I was 19, I finished school and met people in universities. I hung out with different girls, some like the ones in my class, some like the one who let him grab him, grab her on her ass, and they had similar stories. They just didn't know how to say no because they wanted these boys to like them. They didn't like themselves. They became inclined to accepting propositions. They based their decisions on what a bad bitch would do. So they, came, they became accustomed to being used, validating themselves to match the girls in video clips compliments on their tits their lips and how well they swung their hips they were so pretty but they were always so empty basing their worth on how many men invited them into their beds not on what they stood for not what was in their heads I was 20 when I got married and 21 when I had my son 23 when I was single again flung back into the world of men this taught me that marriage doesn't always equal stability waiting and preserving virginity doesn't always guarantee long-lasting matrimony Life is unpredictable. I met a string of men who didn't know how to love, just how to fuck. They're so keen to give attention, so repulsed by any sign of reciprocation. They pulled us close with their arms and whispered in our ears not to get too comfortable. But I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with their terms and conditions. By 24, I hated men, all of them. And I trusted no one, rejected invitations to have fun, especially because I knew in this game I was the toy. There wasn't any source of joy from boys making offers to get me drunk because he wasn't confident that he could try to sleep with me if I was sober. This taught me that that people hate high standards because they can't measure up. Don't lower yours. I, wasn't I was tired of being told that telling these boys that we deserved men was too bold. I stopped allowing people to tell me to play myself, especially when they needed to heal so many broken parts of themselves. Now, now I tell men about periods. Even though women in my family treated it like such a dirty secret that my brother didn't know how much about it till he was in his late 20s and married. Now I tell men about birth, so they might understand that titties and vaginas have other functions other than to please a man. They push out human beings and they should be a force to look at every gush of water and red. They scream and witness every tear. Maybe then they might understand that vaginas and titties have other functions other than to please a man. We are not toys. I'm a mama now. But I don't understand the nature of man. I found something in between, though. So I write this poem about my experience of being a girl, a teen, and a woman navigating through the sexes, through the sexist and the predators, evaluating how I learned to counsel and continue to do so for, so for friends who wet their bedsheets with broken dreams in the form of tears, soaking pillowcases in the places that unfaithful men once laid, how I learned how to say no. Over and over and over and over and over again. How I learned that some people think that being your friend is an insult. That friend's own friend who believes you should be with them or be alone. That being a friend gives them the right to be first in line for your heart. How I learned that 16 is dangerous just existing. How I learned that being a female at 11, 12, 14, 17, 21, 26, 40 is dangerous just existing. How I learned that women are taught to be used and that we are taught to interpret this as value. I learned that happily ever after is a future you build with or without a partner. I learned that single parenthood is misunderstood. To some, it's a blessing. Although, I learned that either way, we're put into boxes. So, Mama, I'm a woman now.
but I still don't understand the nature of man. CR Spoken Word is being presented today by Santo Cazzati. That's me, and I'm in the studio with my guest today, J.J. Larkin. Well, uh, I was going to discuss that poem of yours, but honestly, the poem itself uh, answers every question I could possibly want to ask. It states the case so very clearly and expressively, so uh, maybe I'll come up with some tough, prickly questions about it before the end of the show. Okay. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about was the gig that I mentioned earlier, Ms. Millie's. Can mm-hmm. you give us a potted history of it and a description of it? Oh, history? Um, I wanted to do more, wanted to see more poetry but my schedule was really tight. So I decided that I was going to create an event that I can just pretty much invite people to read me poetry. Um, and obviously at the time I couldn't work because I had my son and I had really like restricted times and everything. So I figured, hey, I'll just run a poetry event and I'll make some sweets, you know, because I like to do that as well. And I could possibly live out my dream of doing a, or attending a poetry cafe. So that's pretty much Miss Millie was just me being kind of selfish and wanting to experience something. So I created it. And now, about two years later, it's kind of maintained itself and it's been pretty good. I'm just amazed at that. That's the most original uh, reason for starting a poetry gig I have ever heard. And and very honest and yeah. brutally honest and, and really, really good. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't deny this pleasure of yours whatsoever. Um, could you describe for our listeners like what happens at the average gig or, or is there no such thing as the average Ms. Millie's? I mean, there's definitely like a culture that's kind of been accumulated around it. Um, at the very beginning, I wanted it to be opened up to people that had no experience or who had an interest like myself because I'd gone into it never performing, never sharing my poems um just having friends that we all kind of knew that we liked poetry and we shared it amongst each other um other women of color and that was pretty much as far as it went just sending poems over to people like oh do you do poetry let me see it oh you're really good whatever and then um there were lots of poetry events that i wanted to go to one of them was at um it's next to section eight it's up uh 30 duke it was voices in the attic voices in the attic Ferdy Duke, it was a really cool event that happened on Tuesdays and I was like, I can't go. Um, there were so many really cool things that I didn't know very much about the poetry world itself. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna have to make something happen because I don't know any events. I don't know any poets that are poet poets and I'm going to make it happen. So pretty much with Miss Millie's, I got myself a spot 
I decided that I wanted it to be for people who had been doing poetry for a while and for people who had never tried and were curious. So like a starting bench. Um, so that's what's pretty much accumulated into what Miss Millie's is. I think that it's kind of like a, a workshop, not in the sense where people teach each other, but where people come through and they workshop their pieces. They try it out. You know, they give their first goal of poetry or people come and say, this is a new poem and I'm trying it out in a space that's comfortable. Miss Millie's is pretty much, it's supposed to have a home vibe, a comfortable vibe. And it's for amateurs mainly. And obviously everyone else is welcome. So it's got that, yeah, family vibe. What I found uh, really fascinating about all that was um, it's very, very grassroots. And a lot of the Melbourne poetry scene is very grassroots. You know, it does attract some people who, you know, get published and who are very well known. But uh, a lot of the people are just ordinary people like you and me, Mm -hmm. you know, who have never done it before and, uh, you know, all express our personalities and, and share it you know, in, in the way that uh, does happen at Ms Millie's and at many, many other gigs. The other thing that I did like about Ms Millie's is that Afro Hub, and you do get such a diversity of people, um, and, and especially like in terms, as you said, people of colour. You know, I've never seen quite so many who come you know, to a gig as they do there and feel you know, co- completely relaxed and share their work. This, this, is, this is a really very, very special thing. I mean... Me, myself, I'm a Muslim woman. I'm a woman of colour. I'm half African-American. I'm mixed. Uh, so I'm black, I'm Muslim, and I'm a woman. And um, when I was practising a lot more, that I was trying to find a space that was comfortable, and a lot of places were held in bars and stuff like that. Miss Millards didn't start off at Afro Hub, even though it's our lovely, comfortable home that we love very much. We started off in a dance studio where it didn't have... Um, any restaurants or anything like that. So I used to make canisters of drinks and teas. I used to have three thermoses that were like 1.75 litres each. Um, I used to bring up 12 cakes and I used to travel them all from my house to Brunswick. And I made it into a cafe, essentially. And it was a very um, small studio with mirrors and brick and poster. It was really perfect for the time. Um, And in that place, it kind of allowed a lot of people from different backgrounds. That's one thing that I wanted to make it really clear because being a woman that was, was covered at some point, you know, um, I felt excluded a lot of the time. And I once I uncovered and I was back into the world and people were just treating me like a woman of colour, which is obviously another level of, you know, life. Um, I didn't want any of my sisters or anybody that would have that feeling to feel excluded. So I wanted to make it a point. It's like, listen, you know, this is open for literally everyone and we're going to treat everybody as if we're all welcome. You know, this is a spot for everybody. Um, So I put a lot of effort into that and I'm happy to see that it's maintained that. And I would like for it to be one of the, definitely one of the pillars of what I'm trying to do. So um, Ms. Millie's at Afro Hub in Nicholson Street, North Carlton. You can uh, Google that, I suppose, or Facebook it or something. Uh, It happens uh, once a month. Once a month. Um, it's on the second Saturday of every month at Afro Hub from 7 to 9, and we do have sweets. Vegan. I try to do gluten-free, but it's very difficult to make that taste nice. I don't have the skills yet. Um, we do vegan. Sometimes we do gluten-free and just the average everyday Believe stuff. Believe me. Um, <laughs> As uh, someone who is the patient of a doctor who wants to turn me into a vegan, um, the food that I've had, the vegan food that I've had at Ms. Millie's is very tasty. Vegan's easy to make. That's one thing I'm very happy for. When I heard vegan, I was like, this is easy to do. It's not that hard. It's just knowing the right substitutes, so I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, yours was so much better than the cardboard (laughs) tasting stuff that I've had elsewhere. Thank you. (laughs) Right then. Well, let's hear some more poetry from you. Okay. 
This one's called I Thought I Hated Men. Um, explains itself. Uh, and it's the prequel to the last poem I read. So let's go. I thought I hated men, then I realised it was just some of them. I've grown up, I'm grown, I absorbed your lessons and I reflected what I was shown, but so many parts just didn't fit. I sat down at the table in a sports bar with my oldest brother, now 33, and his high school friend. His friend, he loves his wife, but he had few things to say about her shape. She's a great mother, a fantastic wife. She just doesn't look the way she used to. I look at him Neither do you, I'm sure. My father told me when I was young not to get pregnant because my husband would cheat on me if I got too fat. My mother told me not to talk back so much. Real men don't really like that. My auntie told me not to let men walk all over me. She's covered in so many invisible scars. She said, women are like cars. Nobody wants a car that's done too many Ks. My oldest brother married his ex-wife because she was a model. You know how men are, he said. My grandmother told my mum that no one would marry us if we didn't know how to cook. My friends are 25 and they're lowering their standards because they're not married yet. They think if they miss their windows, the men their age will just marry younger girls. I was told not to show too much skin when I uncovered. I had a guy told me I covered too much. I don't like being told how to dress. That's an expression of myself, but it hurt me to see that his idea of beauty was to wear a little, was to be a little bit more sexy. I'm tired of being treated like a sampling board. I'm tired of being told if I get a little fatter, my man will get bored. I'm Bored of my worth being laid at said husband's feet. How well I cook in pasta, how well I fold his sheets. I'm tired of being told that men have wandering eyes. I'm tired of being told to trust men, but to dissect their truth because it's natural for them to lie. I'm tired of older women envying younger women because they were deceived into believing that they were lesser. I'm tired of women accepting that their beauty is only full for 15 years or so. I'm tired of 50-year-old women chasing their 20s for 20 years, missing out on beauty in full. Waiting for senior years to look back on pictures of their 43rd birthday and say, gee, I really was beautiful. I'm tired of people telling me the evils of people because they made poor decisions. I'm tired. I don't want a man who will leave me because I hate to do laundry or a relationship that doesn't stay because I've begun to grow grays. I don't want women who work every day to keep their men interested to teach my children their worth. I'm tired of toxic behaviors being treated as if it's one of those things. Men are not children. They should know how to cook more than eggs, noodles, and pasta. Men get old and fat, and no one says shit about that. Men have wandering eyes. Maybe those men deserve wandering wives. Maybe then they'll find someone who knows how to focus. Men should know how a period works. Men should know how birth works. Maybe they can understand that man and baby are not synonymous. Men are not babies. I'm tired of being told I should baby these sheeps dressed up as lions. Lastly, I'm tired of being told to be quiet. Men. Real men are kings. Kings to rule nations and protect their kin. They need to be sat next to a queen, not a freaking maid. So yes, I used to hate men. Now I don't hate men, just some of them. You are hearing the voice and poetry of J.J. Larkin on 3CR Spoken Word. Um, All right, so I have to try and ask a difficult question Mm -hmm. uh, after that last poem. Is there any hope for men at all? Oh, look, as a mother to a male... Um, I'm hoping so. Yeah. I think that our generations are learning. I feel like it's like these lessons are being passed down slowly, slowly. So we're getting closer and closer on how to parent our children, how to parent our daughters was, and still is very important, but I feel like men were just kind of left to go free and do whatever the F they wanted and, you know, be as 
terrible or horrible as they want but now we're kind of holding them more accountable and we're making it a point to teach our men our, our boys to be proper men like you know productive members of the community that you know are not horrible human beings so yes I do think there's hope I think that there's a lot of learning and I've got a lot of friends who want to learn and want to break that chain so yeah yeah. You know, on the one hand, I think, you know, because I'm 56 years old, so I've, I've watched stuff happen. And on the one hand, I think, well, yeah, things are a lot better. And uh, there are a lot uh, of better men now than there were 40 years ago. Yeah. But on the other hand... The standard's still the, pretty low. It, it's, well, well, yeah, I, I still see stuff happening around me that I can't believe is still happening. Yeah, so yeah. I'm really torn. I'm really yeah. torn. So, or, or, I mean, a, a lot of it has got to be also women standing up uh, as as you have done in, in yeah. these poems and as you obviously do in real life. And there's there's nothing else we can do. But men and women have to do it together. They have to have a good yeah. intention. Absolutely. And I see some of it and, and I don't see it in other places and it frightens me. I think, um, yeah, I think there's, it's, we're going to get there. Well, eventually. Eventually. You know I, mean? I mean, to a point where we might all not be awesome, but there'll be at least the, the arseholes will be a minority. Yeah, We'd well, so. we're, yeah. we're not there yet. <laughs> anyway, look, you've got one, one last poem there, mm-hmm. uh, which is not about men, but it's about women. So yes. you might as well do that. Yes. Um, um, this is about, yeah, just difficult situations and witnessing it. And uh, it's called Dead Women. I'm surrounded by women, women who can't survive without a man, bruised women, battered women, dead women. I'm surrounded by women who don't think they can live without a man. Their worth depends on whoever they are with at that particular time. If they are without, then they are worthless. Blind to blessings left behind in the form of pure hearts and wide, innocent eyes, I'm sick of hearing indifference in their voices. Lies pour out of their mouths so thickly you could have sworn it was done on purpose to match the stench of cigarettes that they're always smoking. Meaningless noises fly from their mouths. An attempt to make them look like the women that they wished they were. Another blustered lip, another black eye. Once the swelling goes down, she'll go back because he's actually a really nice guy. He pays her bills, rent, gas, electricity and water. He speaks to her nicely. He really spoils her. This is their life of fighting and being fought. I always thought that when you fell in love with a guy, you were safe from abuse, infidelity and lies. Princes from fairy tales hailing from lands, littered with castles and happy townsfolk, dreams of happily ever after that were spoken into existence. Although I never really got a chance to witness this, this is your new uncle. He smelt of beers and walked like addiction, a new uncle. Counting down days when my mum's phone would ring and she would clench her fists and gather us into the car to comfort my auntie and look upon her new scars. Men, men are dogs. They'll always do you wrong, they echo. Don't let yourself go. They have wandering eyes. They can't function alone, so they eat up their lies. No man's going to want a woman who's been around town, she says, as she brushes on frosted eyeshadow. They want a good girl. Save yourself. My mother told me cooking was for my health, but they told me it was a way to a man's stomach. How are you supposed to get married if you don't mix a little bleach with a dishwashing liquid? The glasses will smell of egg. Don't take shit from no man, and still I'd hear her fight with him. He walks out, zooms out in his 1986 coup. She talks big. I'm too good for you. Then she smokes a few cigarettes. Her loud words turn into quiet regrets, and soon she's on the phone to him. I know. You just make me mad. No, babe.
you know I'm crazy because I don't want to lose you. I won't. I will. Whatever you say, just don't go away. Don't leave me. Guess who's back, kids? The look on their face is 50 shades away from please. I hate him. He's a big, fat pig. Older cousin steps in. Don't worry, he'll be gone soon. In the absence of her son, she forgets the stars that surround her. He's hitting kids at school. I don't know why he's so aggressive. She's stealing. I don't know where she gets it. They used to be good kids. He's such an amazing stepdad. I don't know how he puts up with it. I'm surrounded by women who can't survive without a man. Bruised women, battered women, dead women. On Spoken Word on 3CR, we have had my guest today in the studio, JJ Larkin. Thanks very much. For Thank you for having me. Fantastic contribution. And uh, I'll just go out the same old way. This is the voice of Santo Katsati signing off and shutting down. Mm-hmm.